0: From Vistio, this is recorded for Quality Assurance,
1: a show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business. Hello and welcome to CXQA Live, the home of the agent-centric contact center philosophy. We talk about how agents with the right training, tools, and connection with your company are going to be a revenue growth and protection center for your business or brand. They're going to be the best diagnostic tool that you could possibly have for your business. They're going to ensure that your customers are satisfied and connected. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success of your company. With us today, we have Dave Seaton, Principal Consultant at Seaton CX who helps B2B companies measure, manage, and improve customer experiences. Dave also has a very caffeinated CX Insight email called CXpresso, and if you don't have it, you need to get it. This email for brave CX leaders who want to score great buy-in is something that I enjoy reading on a regular basis. Got mine this morning, got a little shot in the veins. Great to have you back on the show, Dave.
0: Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the kind words about the the email. My Number one thing with that is for CX leaders to have something they look forward to reading on Monday morning. Just a little little pick-me-up to get us through the week. Yeah, man. It's good stuff.
1: Now, our topic today is something that you spend quite a bit of time on with your clients, Dave, and that's building buy-in. And I'm going to nickname you the buy-in barista, all right? <laughs> um, so buy-in is essential in any organization if there's not a full vertical buy-in to initiatives, policies, culture, et cetera, an organization ultimately is going to fail to accomplish its goals. Now in CX organizations, there's a constant need to evolve to meet customers' expectations and and needs, which means there's a constant need to create buy-in across the full company, across the full CX organization in order to make these change initiatives effective. So, I mean, I've kind of set you up for this one a little bit, Dave, but why is buy-in
0: such a hot topic for CX leaders? Well, research from CXPA last year showed that buy-in is the number one problem that CX leaders struggle with. It's not which... You know, survey methodology to use or which technology vendor is the best. It's getting buy in for customer experience management in their organization. And I think part of that is because this idea of customer experience management is so new. But then, You know, there's the other mystery as well as why are CX leaders in particular struggling with this concept of getting buy-in?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the follow-up question would be, how do you as a CX leader go about that process of getting buy-in? Because it's we've discussed it's necessary,
0: but it seems highly complex as well. So I... You know, use the word buy-in because that's the language of the industry. But I actually don't think it's enough. I you know, last time I was on the show, we talked about New Year's resolutions have a hundred percent buy-in, right? If buy-in was enough to drive change, then New Year's resolutions would have a hundred percent success rate. But they don't, because there's actually stages of engagement beyond buy-in and that those are commitment and action and so for me the the concept of well how do you move a stakeholder through these stages of engagement from ignorance not really understanding what customer experience management is to skepticism not knowing if customer experience management is right for them to buy in okay all right, I'm bought in. I'll agree to try this thing to then commitment to actually committing time, people or money towards the initiative. And then finally, action, you know, following through, doing things, making the change. you got to move stakeholders through that entire spectrum of engagement. And so for me, where that starts is a process called stakeholder analysis. And this is something that I kind of took out of the Lean Six Sigma world, but that model wasn't good enough. And so I've kind of uh, grown it and adapted it and built my own model of stakeholder analysis for CX leaders. And the idea you start out, make a list of all the people who could impact your success, either directly or indirectly. And some people on that list might be the CIO who is approving the purchase of technology or managing the budgets, somebody from finance who's got to validate the financial results of your project. It could be cross-functional peers who need to contribute to the work because the project's going to impact their organization as well. And it could be people contributing to the project themselves or the very people on the front line who have to implement the, the change. All of those different people are stakeholders and they all have an ability to impact your success. So that's step one is is make a list of all those people. Identify who are the key stakeholders that you really need to have on your side. You need to have buy-in, you need to have commitment, and you need to have action. And then dive a little deeper into understanding them. What are their values? What What do they value at work? What are their goals? what are you know the stated goals and incentives that they're going to be held accountable to in the annual strategy in the annual plan what are their ex- extrinsic motivations these are the things they talk about that motivate them uh, often tied into the goals and incentives you know they'll know, I, I had a, a client tell me, you know, my number one goal this year is to improve knowledge management in the organization. Your extrinsic motivations of the stakeholder are is what they're saying publicly. And it's going to be aligned with the business. It's going to tow the, the company line. But then there's a level deeper and there's intrinsic motivations as well. And those are those are personal. People often don't talk about them, but that's what's really going to motivate your stakeholder. Examples of intrinsic motivations might be getting a promotion. It might be prestige or recognition. I've seen stakeholders that were motivated by flying under the radar and escaping notice, and those intrinsic motivations are very, very strong drivers of somebody's behavior. Evaluate these stakeholders. Where are they on that buy-in spectrum, you know, from ignorance on one end to action on the other? Where are they? Where they are on that spectrum is going to impact the strategy you use for influencing them. Somebody who's skeptical about the value of the initiative, you're not going to go in and ask for their commitment of resources. Right. Instead, you're going to try and address their skepticism and move them towards that next stage, which is buy-in. And then another thing I look at is, is their personality type. Who is this person that I'm trying to influence? Because speaking my own language is only going to persuade people like me. I'm a very analytical guy. I like to share statistics and and facts and results and processes and methods that's not going to motivate somebody who's very relationship focused who cares about the story who you know really would rather never see a statistic again in their lives so understanding the personality type of the person that you're trying to influence along with all those other dimensions lets you make a formal plan for how you're going to influence them. One of the things I like to say is you influence with intention, not intuition. Hmm. If I just rely on my gut, I'm gonna be spouting statistics and facts and figures and. Processes to everybody I talk to, and I'm going to turn off probably three fourths of my audience who is looking for, for something else. So I have to be intentional about how I influence them. I can't just, you know, trust my gut because I'll end up speaking my language. So that's kind of an overview of this process I think of as stakeholder analysis. That's a good process anytime you're kicking off. A new year a new initiative a new change you want to make in the organization really understanding who can impact impact your success and making a intentional plan for how you're going to influence them i think that's a very comprehensive overview and in many ways i think
1: back to opportunities that i've had that i've seen within companies to initiate change to you know try to bring about improvement in areas that I recognize needed improvement. And oftentimes, I've just kind of lowered my shoulder and tried to run through a wall, right? You know, and and I'm not known for being, you know, somebody who's passive, but in many cases, I've learned the hard way that not understanding what motivates all of the stakeholders really costs you, not only the initiatives, you know, maximal success, but unfortunately, the relationships at times that are connected to those other stakeholders. And I find that very difficult to look back and, and think about, I wish I had handled things differently with this person or that person, because ultimately, we don't go to work to blow people up. We don't go to work you know, just to see what trouble we can stir up. We want to make positive change, but we also want to have meaningful co-working relationships where we are all united and aligned and winning together as a unified team. And I think stakeholder analysis in many ways not only feeds the ultimate success of initiatives, but also that sort of peaceable aligned co-working dynamic that we all really would love to have, right? Yeah. Maybe you could kind of run over for us. You kind of did this in short, maybe a little bit more of a a complete list of the stakeholder types, the different various stakeholders that you're likely to see and that you really need to have in most, you know, CX organizations to get not only just the intellectual buy-in, but all the action, commitment, all that stuff. And the reason I say this is, you know, in a lot of CX organizations, you're answering in some ways outside of the CX arm of the company, as far as a lot of the metrics and the PL and all those sorts of things. And and maybe you're the the CX thinker that was brought in to help with CX, but you know, really you're, you're subordinate to people who are not CX experts. And then underneath you are people who are more operational minded. And so you're kind of an interesting connecting point between the CX operation and the PNL in a lot of cases, if this is, you know, the type of role that you have.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a tale of four stakeholders back from my days as a practitioner I had an SVP of sales and he had a very direct personality type kind of his mantra was just tell me what time it is. Don't tell me how the watch is made. And that's, you know, that not to stereotype, but that can be pretty typical of salespeople. They're very, very direct, very results focused win at all costs. Right. That's a personality type. Just give me the answer. Yeah. And so to influence him, I had to present the CX initiative in a way that he didn't want to know the details. He didn't want to know stories and statistics. He wanted to know how this was going to help him sell more. And so I had to, you know, present it very high level in a way that he wanted to hear it. Now, the same initiative I had a VP of client success. She had a very relationship-based personality. She would be an eye on the DISC personality type if you're familiar with DISC. I don't know that it's any better or worse than any of the other ones. It's just what I'm familiar with. She did not want to hear numbers, statistics, That did not resonate with her at all. Customer stories resonated with her very much. She was very much about relationships and managing those relationships. And so telling customer stories to her helped illustrate the benefit of the initiative and get her to buy in, commit and act on the change I was trying to drive. Stakeholder number three was my VP of customer support. Like me, very analytical, a C on the disk profile. She would write off customer stories, "Ah, it's just one-off anecdotes, right? I want to see the trend, I want to see the metrics, I want to see the numbers. So she was very into the statistics that the first two stakeholders could not care less about and so to influence her i would show here's the current state and here's you know what customers say and if we do this i think we can improve this metric by this percent and that was what she needed to hear to feel comfortable moving along the spectrum of engagement my fourth stakeholder was very a very affiliative person very people focused very focused on creating a culture where employees thrive. And so what she cared most about was, well, how is this going to impact our employees? If we do this, what's the impact on our team members? Mm -hmm. And by focusing my message on how improving these customer experiences was going to benefit our employees as well, that was what she needed to hear to get buy-in, commitment, and action. Same initiative, same project, but four very different ways to talk about it based on understanding the stakeholders, what was important to them, what motivated them, and, and tailoring the message based on who I was talking to instead of giving everybody the same pitch. So how
1: did that work out? You know, you kind of analyze the stakeholders, their personality types, how to influence them initially, right? And then how, do you, how does that go as the initiative begins? Because you're obviously providing feedback, ongoing on ramps for them to understand what's happening and make the adjustments that their portion of the world needs to make. Do you just set up four
0: different ways of reporting out? Is that kind of how it looks? Like, how do you do that? In like a, a monthly business review context, where like I'm reporting out to a, a large audience, I think about it as having tasty little snacks for everybody in the room. Mm. You know, starting with the executive summary, the headline, great, okay, my sales guy can get it, he can tune out, that's okay, because he, he got it. Then I've got some customer stories for my stakeholders who like sweet snacks, customer anecdotes, stories, feedback, verbatims. And then for my stakeholders who like salty snacks, I've got the statistics, the trends, how are our metrics trending over time? What's our project status, you know, percent complete done. Sharing some employee feedback for my affiliative and, you know, mixing it all together so that everybody in my report out, everybody has a little snack that they can grab onto and feel good about that this initiative is proceeding as planned. The only problem with all of this is now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: But uh, no, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, really, you you know, you're, you're trying to bring everybody to a shared understanding and cooperation within this thing. Right. And so them understanding in their own language, how it's working and how we can improve it is so critical to that. Now, a little earlier and in one of your you know four primary stakeholder personas, you mentioned the one that's very interested in how this impacts the employees. And, and mm-hmm. earlier you mentioned individual contributors who are the ones actually implementing initiatives. And I would say this is agents in a CX organization. Yeah. In many cases, numerically speaking that portion of the org chart is very wide there's a lot of there's a lot of agents and if the agents a don't believe that there's real buy-in and commitment above them on the org chart or by those who are in leadership then they're not going to be bought in they're not going to be committed and they're not going to execute because they don't they don't believe it's safe for them to do that right if they if they think that there's not really support for this then they're going to be like, ah, this is a terrible position for me to be in. And on the other side of that, right, if they do buy in, then you'll actually get to evaluate whether the initiative is working or not. And it's very critical for the agent in a call center, contact center type environment or the primary employee facing customers, if it's a customer related initiative to really be bought in. Maybe you could talk about that for just a minute.
0: Yeah, in... um Lean Six Sigma and formal process improvement, we've got an equation that is, is really relevant to any time you're doing a change or a project. And the equation goes like, like this. It's real simple. E, which is the effectiveness of the change, E equals Q, the quality of the change, times A, the acceptance of the change. So the effectiveness of the change is the quality of the change times the acceptance of the change. And when you think about that, what that's saying is that you can have the highest quality change in the world, but if the acceptance is low, it won't be very effective. Likewise, you can have a a lower quality change But if it's widely accepted, it could be more effective than that high quality change that wasn't accepted. Yeah. So focusing on both sides of that, the quality and the acceptance of the change, you can design something that's actually going to be effective. On the agents themselves, it's important to understand everybody goes through the change curve at a different speed. What I mean by that is you're going to have early adopters who are like, I get it. This makes sense. We should have done this a year ago. Sign me up. Let's get started. Then you're going to have people that are like, all right, this sounds pretty good. Let's kind of see how it's going to work before I jump on and fully commit. And that's the front half of your adopter curve then on the back half you've got people that are skeptical but they're going to wait and see and then you've got you know at the very end the diehards who are going to cling on to the old way of doing things until they absolutely have to change Hmm. and so recognizing that everybody's going to go on this change journey at a different speed that can be okay And you can identify your early adopters and really pour into them, make them change champions, let them go, let them go fast, capture their results, celebrate their results, really embrace and nurture those early followers because they will then carry the rest of your organization through the change. So that's how you would focus on a that acceptance of the change. That's good stuff. That's really good stuff.
1: I feel like there's all these dynamics that go on in companies right where you know a lot of times and you see it on shows like undercover boss right there was one episode of undercover boss where the ceo comes in contact with a manager in one of his stores and he's very impressed with the manager the manager is absolutely handling everything, the way that they're trained to, does a great job training the, the CEO who's pretending to be a first-time employee. He's very, very, very impressed with this manager. And then the CEO asks, well, what do you think about these changes that corporate made you know, six months ago? And the manager says, they didn't listen to us at all. And it's causing us to make less money and to upset customers. We're losing customers all the time. And so even in getting buy-in about you know, a change that we want to make, there's an element that needs to be present of understanding what's actually really going on. Mm-hmm. And so fostering that deeper two-way mutual respect and communication makes that whole buy-in process a lot easier, you know, when it comes down to it, rather than passing on change from on high, whether you like it or not, without the benefit of that mutual trust in place.
0: Yeah, it. You've got to be really intentional about communication. Otherwise, you can end up playing the telephone game. Mm. worked with an organization where the new idea was that we're going to make sure that all of our customer tickets that are open get some love every day whether that is just following up with the customer, letting them know we're still working on it, whatever. We want all our agents to review their queue once a day and just make sure nothing's falling through the cracks. That was the initiative from on high. By the time it got passed through the telephone game to the VP, to the director, to the manager, to the frontline employees, the message that some frontline employees got was, Empty your queue every day. Mm. And so we had employees saying, well, my manager wants me to empty my queue every day. I don't really know what to do with this, so I'll send it to that other team. And then my queue's empty. I did what I was supposed to do. And, you know, somebody on that other team that I don't really like can figure out what to do with this tomorrow. And so what started out as a good intention for management actually created a worse customer experience because these tickets were bouncing around from team to team because this one team had misunderstood the entire purpose of of what they were being asked to do so that communication that line of sight from every level of the leadership chain is so important to make sure everybody's on the same page yeah no kidding that's quite the nightmare story
1: and you can see how it would go very poorly from there. Well, Dave, you're hosting a workshop coming up here in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. called the CXpresso Buy-In Bliss, and you know this is your chance for a shameless plug, man. Because I would love for anybody who is involved in CX change initiatives to have the chance to benefit from your wisdom in this workshop. Maybe you can give us just a quick sixty second nugget of what's going to happen at
0: the workshop. Sure. At the C-Expresso Buy-In Bliss Workshop, it's a live workshop, 90 minutes with me on January 26th, and we are going to walk through this stakeholder analysis process. So you will walk through, you'll do the work to analyze one of your key stakeholders. And then we'll talk about some strategies for how you're going to influence them. It's got a limited number of participants, so that's so we can encourage one on one conversation and networking. We're going to do this live. There'll be a digital workbook that you'll get to keep so you can repeat this process over and over again. And for your listeners, Rob, I created a coupon code. So this is good until midnight tonight. The coupon is CXQA, and that's good for 10% off the price of the workshop.
1: Cool. And I'm just putting that in the chat so everybody gets, gets that. Make sure I type it correctly. Yes. So that sounds great. I'm planning to be there. I know awesome. I'm excited to learn more about this and be a part of it. And we'd encourage anybody who is here today to use that coupon to get that bonus percentage off. As always, Dave, it's great to chat with you, man. Appreciate your investments in the broader CX world and really glad that we could talk through some things that hopefully are helpful, not just for our live audience, for for folks who will be viewing this content later. And looking forward to our next collaboration, my friend. Awesome. Me too,
0: Rob. Thanks for having me. See you in the chat. Got some comments. That's awesome. Thanks for having me on the show again. Love being here. Hope everybody has a fantastic week. Absolutely. See you soon.
1: to a recording of this and other episodes visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts and to join our show live each week go to vistio.io forward slash cx live